Hello, listener, and welcome back to Mind Milk Theory, an arts podcast. Some admin before we get into it today. There is still one episode to come in the sketchbook series, being an interview with the incomparable Victoria Foster. But because I'd like to mix up the type of content, I've decided to bank that episode to be released somewhere down the line. So do not fear, we will return to that subject in due course. This week, however, I turn my eyes and the eye of this podcast to literature. This week, I've been reading Beowulf, the old English poem that, like 1984 or Moby Dick, many more people claim to have read than actually have. I'm going to talk a little about the poem, but also use my interest in this text as a lens to discuss the feeling of finding a new obsession, something I hope will be relatable to any artist or creative. If you're not familiar with the poem, I hope there'll be enough in here that will intrigue you into reading it. It's short and will reward your curiosity. But I also ask that you stick with me for this episode, even if you aren't interested in Beowulf, because in every episode I try to conclude with something relatable and applicable. But that's enough preamble. This episode, Beowulf and Obsession. I am new to Beowulf. I've known the overall plot points and a few of the details of the story for years. I think everyone probably knows something about it from cultural osmosis. I thought of it as a historically significant poem, but imagined it to be a hyper-masculine hero fighting monsters within a rudimentary plot. I do not remember now what motivated me to actually read the poem and discover for myself what it truly is, But whatever quiet impulse pushed me towards the text, I am grateful for it. Because Beowulf may be about a typical looking hero, but the poem's treatment of his heroics is anything but. In order to talk about what this poem is, I need to spend some time talking about what it isn't. Because there are popular readings of Beowulf that aren't helpful to an understanding of the actual text. This poem is melancholic. Its viewpoint on its warrior king is firmly historic, and the mood of the poem wants us to see his world as doomed and fading. Beowulf is a narrative circling a drain, and you know the whole time that the plug hole is there at the centre. The emptiness of all these grand fights and swords will overtake the poem, the monsters and kings, and even consume the great warrior Beowulf himself. We're told before it happens that Beowulf is going to fall, and over and over we leave the main narrative to jump in time, following tangents that see how objects mentioned in the poem will be lost or will lead to ruin. To sum up the Beowulf story is simple. Beowulf fights three monsters. As a young man, he kills Grendel and his mother. He becomes a hero and a king. In old age, he fights and defeats a dragon, but loses his own life in the process. But the slight plot masks what's really happening in this text. The poem is set in 6th century pagan Denmark, but is written in 8th century Christian England. Do not be convinced, listener that this is some ancient story that was orally transmitted then just happened to be jotted down by a scribe centuries later with a couple of Christian inserts. That is a simplistic modern interpretation 
by people hoping for some Norse authenticity to go with their Marvel Comics cosplay. It is a fiction. When you actually read the text, you quickly realise that the Christian elements are not an insertion, but that the Christian perspective is integral to the whole shape and thrust of the narrative. It's on every page, in every line, and it's what gifts Beowulf some of its tension and dynamism. The character of Beowulf is a hero in the mould of ancient epics, but his power and arrogance is framed in this way that seems to admire it with one hand and count it as ignoble with the other. Beowulf does not embody Christian virtues, yet this ancient king from across the sea is a cultural forebear to the Anglo-Saxons in England. The poem is in one sense a society exploring its identity by imagining its ancestral home and ancient beliefs. There is no removing the distance of the North Sea, nor the distance of the religious outlook that separates the poem's subject from its writer, because in a very real sense, that distance is the whole point. This poem is long. Narratively, it's incredibly sophisticated. The simple plot is told in non-linear episodes of flashback and flash-forward. Moments of the poem are retold within the poem itself by the Beowulf character, who embellishes and adds detail and extra drama to events. The plot is simple, but the telling is highly literate. No doubt there will be some basis in folk tales, but... Beowulf is on the whole a work of literate and not oral composition, despite popular opinion. The poem is intended to be heard hourly, you know, in the ear. There is a rhetorical conceit of a narrator or a storyteller or shop to use the old English. And within the poem, the oral tradition is heavily represented, but many have confused what the poem is about with what it is i.e. it contains oral storytelling, it is not orally composed. It contains a northern hero, it is not a Norse text. There's something that happens to me when I discover something in a text that excites me. Listener, I want to write essays about this text, I want to dive deep into it. Right now, I want to enthuse at you for, for one thing, about what I think is significant about the bard at, at Heroot retelling Genesis in a supposedly pagan setting and what connection I think that has to the monster Grendel first appearing. Grendel, the Shadowganga, the descendant of Cain. I love it. I want to jump so deep into discussing it that I alienate everyone but those closely familiar with the poem. But I almost don't care because, listener, I've become obsessed I want to tell you about this poem's connection to the epic tradition, why you probably shouldn't call it an epic, and all the reasons why I really, really want to. There's a lot of ways that it fits. And perhaps I will discuss all those points in future episodes of this podcast. I'm not sure because I'm not sure if the passion I feel for the poem right now is sustainable. 
I do this a lot. A story or poem or piece of history will grab me and for a few weeks it will consume me. Before Beowulf, it was Marlowe's Dr. Faustus. A few weeks ago, I made an episode of this podcast about medieval magic and religion and another episode about cultural interpretations of hell because at the time I was obsessing about Faustus and exploring everything around it. Moby Dick, Paradise Lost, Ancient Canoe Building Techniques. I have gone through this cycle of obsession so many times that I know how to recognise it when it's coming, and I do not know how to stop it. The trouble is, listener, that this fervour must be born out and then it must burn out. It is always overtaken by the next obsession. Like the inevitability of death and loss that is discussed in the Beowulf text, I know that it is inevitable that my fervour for the poem will wane, just as my obsession with the Game Boy camera, see previous episode of this podcast, waned. Or my obsession with Paradise Lost waned. I think the reason for that entropy of interest is in part from not knowing what to do with everything I research and think and uncover about the subject. Sure, it is eventually channeled into my art, sometimes directly, sometimes in oblique ways. But sometimes I lament that I didn't go further with some of my short-term obsessions. Just push that little bit further. Right now, listener, I'm reading Beowulf in translation, but if I am to remain as committed to this poem as I am today, the next logical step would be to learn Old English, to read it in its original language. Now that would be quite the undertaking, a whole new language and a dead one at that. I'm not gifted at languages and I fear starting because I don't know if I have the stamina to do so before the next shiny obsession arrives. That's the thing though, isn't it? It's easy to be nerdy about a thing for a while, to flirt with it and take it out to dinner. But to commit, that's hard. It takes a lot of time, a lot of work, and there's no guarantee that you'll still like the thing once all that energy has been put in. This week I was thinking about how often the things I've become obsessed over have been classic works of literature. And I imagined as most of us sometimes do, how my life might have turned out differently had I made different choices at key points in my life. What if I'd gone to study English literature at university instead of art? Would I have known Beowulf or Paradise Lost better than I do now? Would I have greater tools with which to do something with my love of those texts? Or would I have been working in literature and obsessing over works of visual art? But then that's the thing. All these little obsessions, they feed something bigger, which for me is the obsession with creating art. That was the one thing I gave myself to. I can't give myself wholly to Beowulf because I have given myself to something else. That's a freeing thought. I realise I don't have to become an expert in Beowulf to love it or even to write those essays about it that I want to write. 
It's okay if I never learn old English. My obsession can be mild and fleeting because what's really going on is all that experience will be sacrificed to my first love and obsession, professionally speaking, which is being an art maker. So listeners, may you indulge your obsessions. Imagine yourselves like Beowulf in the hall of Grendel's mother. He pulled a strange sword from the wall inspired by some unseen impulse and wielded it though he did not fully understand its significance and though it did not last don't be afraid to pick up new things don't be afraid to pursue that interest and obsession not worrying if it may be short-lived it is all experience for the larger project the project of a life Well, thanks for listening to my random thoughts on Beowulf. I hope you enjoyed it. Join me again next week where I'll be talking about another obsession or maybe the same one again. We'll see. Our intro music is by Prod Riddiman. You can find him on the internet. See you next time. Stay safe. Stay compassionate. Bye.